tips for reading apocalyptic. Number one, don't read it obsessively. No, don't look for the, the blade of grass. Don't think, you know, where is North Korea? Where's Donald Trump? Where's the Pope? Where's Pol Pot? No, don't read it like that. Don't read it literally. You know, so the numbers don't literally mean those, that time. It's just a period of time or the ancient of days doesn't mean that God's an old man. No, don't read it literally like that. Uh, remember the big picture. Don't get obsessed in the details. It's a bit like looking at a, a Van Gogh painting. You know, if you stand too close, you see blobs and squirrels and it's just a mess. And you step back and you see what the artist intended. You've got to read Apocalyptic saying, this is, this is what's happening on earth from the perspective of God who's in heaven. You're looking back, almost like you're, you're looking down on earth from God's perspective and making sense of the world that we live in. So remember the big picture. Remember the purpose. Apocalyptic is not doom and gloom. It's not like the end of the world is nigh, woe is me. Apocalypse is actually supposed to provide you comfort and joy and hope. It's positive literature, not negative literature. And then lastly, and I love this point, it's okay to be emotional. The apocalyptic is supposed to evoke emotions. You're supposed to feel the horrors. You're supposed to feel the terror of some of the stuff he talks about. And he's supposed to feel the joy to know that God's on his throne. So please don't read it as this sort of intellectual, theological exercise. You're supposed to get emotional about this stuff. Let's hear Daniel chapter 7, and I think John's going to make us the first bit. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream with visions in his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the dream, and here is the summary of his account. Daniel said, In my vision at night I was watching, and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. Four huge beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion but had eagle's wings. I continued watching until its wings were torn off. It was lifted up from the ground, set on its feet like a man and given a human mind. Suddenly another beast appeared, a second one that looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up, gorge yourself on flesh. While I was watching, another beast appeared. It was like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. It had four heads and was given authority to rule. While I was watching in the night visions, a fourth beast appeared, frightening and dreadful and incredibly strong, with large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and it trampled with its feet whatever was left. It was different from the beasts before it and it had ten horns. While I was considering the horns, suddenly another horn, a little one, came up among them and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. There were eyes in this horn like a man's and it had a mouth that spoke arrogantly. 
As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire, its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was convened, and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the arrogant words the horn was speaking. As I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their authority to rule was removed. But an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. I continued watching in the night visions and I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given authority to rule and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel... My spirit was deeply distressed within me, and the visions in my mind terrified me. I approached one of those who were standing by and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he let me know the interpretation of these things. These huge beasts, four in number, are four kings who will rise from the earth. But the holy ones of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, the one different from all the others, extremely terrifying, with iron teeth and bronze claws, devouring, crushing, and trampling with its feet whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up, before which three fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke arrogantly and that was more visible than the others. As I was watching... This horn waged war against the holy ones and was prevailing over them until the Ancient of Days arrived and a judgment was given in favour of the holy ones of the Most High for the time had come and the holy ones took possession of the kingdom. This is what he said. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth, trample it down and crush it. The horns are ten kings who will rise from this kingdom. Another, different from the previous ones, will rise after them and subdue three kings. He will speak words against the Most High and oppress the Holy Ones of the Most High. He will intend to change religious festivals and laws, and the Holy Ones will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will convene, and his dominion will be taken away, to be completely destroyed forever. The kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to the people, the holy ones of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will serve and obey him. This is the end of the interpretation. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts terrified me greatly, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Felicia. John. 
Let me ask you, do you ever feel like Daniel felt? He said he was deeply distressed and he was terrified. Do you ever look at the world that we live in and have this feeling of distress? It's a crazy world, isn't it? A world lurches from one crazy leader to another. Our world lurches from one evil regime to another. Another corrupt ruler, more murders, more abuse, more violent. And it's not getting better. The song is wrong. Things will only get worse. Do you ever feel like Daniel and look at our world and if you've got kids or if you've got grandkids, think what kind of world are they going to grow up in? That feeling of distress, that feeling of terror or unease is a, is a right feeling to have, isn't it? I could talk about all the crazy rulers over the history. You know, I could talk about Emperor Nero who, who murdered millions. I could talk about uh, the Impaler. I could talk about Vlad the Impaler. Or uh, I could talk about you know, all the crazy despotic rulers of the previous centuries. Let's just think about the last 100 years. Let's just think about 100 years. Joseph Stalin. Genocide. He killed more of his own countrymen than any man in history. As soon as he's gone, you've got Adolf Hitler, leader of Germany, responsible for the attempted extermination of all the Jews. Crazy man. As soon as he's gone, you've got Chairman Mao, the Chinese communist revolutionary who was responsible for the deaths of between 40 and 70 million people. And he overlapped with Pol Pot, the, the Cambodian communist revolutionary, and for 20 years committed such horrific crimes against his own people. And he overlapped with Idi Amin, who was president of Uganda, Accused of human rights abuse, political repression, ethnic persecution, corruptions and killings. And he overlapped with the Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein, responsible for the deaths of millions. And he overlapped with Slobodan Milosevic in Yugoslavia, accused of genocide in Bosnia, war crimes in Croatia, murder, deportation and torture. I could go on and on and on. And you read your newspapers today and you've got... Kim, Kim Jong-un, you know, the crazy ruler of North Korea who violates human rights, purges and executes millions of people and just threatens our world with nuclear weapons. And as you just look at history, you think, it's not getting better. And as you look at our world, you go, where is it all going to end? I hope you know reality in our world. As we sit here in the comforts of Kirribilli, millions of people are facing daily oppression, daily abuse. As we sit here, Christians are being persecuted and tortured for their faith. And you've got to ask, where is God? Do you ever ask that? Where is God in all this? Why doesn't God act? Does God see? Does God care? Does God know? I've got one simple truth today. You've got to hear it, you've got to understand it, you've got to believe it, you've got to hold on to it. 
If you remember nothing else from this sermon, just remember this one phrase. Here it is. In spite of what it looks or feels like, God is always in control. I underline that word always. In spite of what it looks or feels like, God is always in control. He's always on his throne. He's always ruling, even over the most horrific human leaders. Let's start with the past. God was in control of the past. Daniel has this vision, and in verse 2, he's staring at the sea, a great sea. He's not standing down at Balmoral Beach watching the, the waves just lap gently on the shore. This is a turbulent picture of chaos and danger. In the Bible, the sea is always a picture of destruction and evil and chaos and turbulence. And out of this sea, verse 3, four huge beasts came up, each different from the other. Isn't God good? You don't need to guess what the beasts are because God tells you down in verse 17, these huge beasts, four in number, are four kings who will rise from the earth. That's basically the vision. He sees a vision of human rulers who get increasingly more evil. Nations more and more opposed to God. Nations that persecute and oppress God's people. And let's think about that word beast. The word beast is a great word because beasts are not human. They're not as God intended. They are mutants. They are perversion of God's creation. And Daniel sees four beasts Remember back in chapter 2 of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar built that, had that statue with the, the four gold, silver, bronze. And, and I said back then, we're not supposed to guess, is it Babylon, is it Persia, is it Greece, is it Rome? We're not supposed to look at these four beasts and say, is this Hitler, is this Stalin, is this the EU? We're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to step back and see this big picture of a vision of human leaders and nations becoming more and more ungodly, more and more depraved, more and more beastly, right up to the climax of history. So he sees nations represented by animals. Nothing new about that, is there? Let me test your knowledge. What's the animal to represent Great Britain? The Great British lion? The U.S. eagle, the Russian, Australian, kangaroo. <laughs> but the point is that these, these animals represent nations or kingdoms or rulers. So you've got in verse, verse 4, you've got this lion with eagle's wings. So you've got the majesty, the pride, the ferocity of a lion, and then the swiftness of an eagle. You're supposed to be terrified. In verse 5, you've got a bear, not a, not a cuddly bear, not a teddy bear, but a, a grizzly bear, a ferocious bear. I find verse 5 so horrific. Three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It's repulsive. That's all that's left of its last victim. And he's told, gorge yourself on more flesh. Have a second helping. Come on, destroy and oppress and murder more people. And then you've got the third beast who's like a leopard, but it's got wings, so it, 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 it's blazingly fast. 
And it's got four heads, so you can see in every direction. You can't hide from it. And a horrible phrase in verse 6, it was given authority to rule. Given by God. And immediately you've got this horrible picture of human terror because evil leaders and nations are overpowering innocent people, trampling on the weak, imposing their ideologies, causing chaos and destruction in God's world. And it gets worse in verse 7. While I was watching, a fourth beast appeared. But there's no creature to compare this beast to. He's just frightening and dreadful and strong with his iron teeth to ruthlessly destroy anyone and everyone. Now look at the language, devoured, crushed, trampled. Has these ten horns. Horns is a picture of strength or power. Ten of them. Not just one, but ten. And down in verse 23, we're told that these ten horns will be ten kings, followed by this little horn. I find that little horn really sinister. A little horn with an eye who can see, who stares down at God's people and oppresses them and blasphemes. And if you know what Bible is, you're kind of going, oh, who could that little horn be? Could it be the Antichrist? Could it be the man of lawlessness that Paul talks about? We don't know. The point is that Daniel has a picture of nations becoming more and more violent and leaders becoming more and more anti-God. Not just in Daniel's day, but right up until our day today. And I actually love the fact that God makes it unclear who these nations are. It could be Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, but it's probably not. It's just a picture of more and more ungodliness. So let me ask you, do you think that things in this world are getting better? Yeah, we've got better technology. Yeah, we've got better health systems. Yeah, we've got better education. But how many of our world leaders today claim to follow Jesus Christ? How many people rule today under the word of God and bow the knee to God? Please don't look at our world through these rose-tinted spectacles. Look at it through God's spectacles and it's getting more and more anti-God. And you know the stats that in the 20th century more people were killed in bloody wars than the 19th centuries combined before that. But I do sometimes think we sit here and we forget just what life is like for a huge proportion of our world today. Could you imagine living in parts of the Middle East today? Could you imagine being a Christian in Iran today? You know, Christians who are actually scared for their very lives. And as they read this vision, they're going to say, yeah, that is true for me. If you open our eyes to what is happening in our world, you would see human rule becoming more arrogant and more anti-God. Let me go out on a limb here. I, I do think, I am convinced, I'm convinced that we will face greater and greater opposition here in Australia as Christians. 
I'm convinced we'll face greater persecution for what we believe. I'm convinced that we will be forced as Christians to submit to, to increasingly godless leadership who will not care for the poor and the needy, who will trample on people to get what they want. And perhaps soon we will come to church, walk into Kirribilli under a, a reign of fear of being arrested or imprisoned for our faith. That's the reality in many countries. I need to ask you, do you believe that God's always in control of this? Do you believe that phrase, God is always in control? God's always in control as you read world history. He knew about all those leaders. He's always in control as you turn on your news every night and see all the horrors of the world. He's always in control of that. When you think about the next generation, your kids, your, your grandkids, he's in control of that world to come. As you think about the elections next weekend, he's in control of who's going to be elected. As you think about the plebiscite, he's in control of that outcome, isn't he? God's always in control. Because there's a second part of the vision, not just the beast, but a throne. And the scene changes in verse 9 from beastly rule to human rule and from the earth to heaven. As I kept watching verse 9, thrones were set in place. And the curtain of heaven is torn back and you, you get a glimpse into what's happening in the heavenlies. And the mood changes from fear and chaos to dignity and to order. From aggression to calmness. Because as a, a ruler who is judging with justice. And let me just say before we look at it, this is not chronological. It's not like you have beast one, beast two, beast three, beast four, and then you've got the throne room in heaven. This is a parallel universe. Whilst all this stuff is happening on earth, this is the reality in heaven. And the reality in heaven is a glorious vision of a God on his throne, even in the mess of this world. It's a glorious vision to comfort and to assure and to bring hope to God's people that God is reigning and God will judge with justice despite what it looks like and despite how you feel. God is on his throne now, not just on the last day. I find that comforting and I hope you do too. The visions of a throne, a throne for a king, verse 9. And then the Ancient of Days took his seat. Again, it's not literally an old man, not a grandfather figure. The Ancient of Days is a term to say he is eternal. He's always existed. He's wise. He takes his seat. He has the power to do that. And what sort of ruler will God be? Verse 9. Well, his clothing was white like wool, like snow rather. And the hair, like the whitest of wool. So he is wise, he is pure, he is righteous, he is dignified. No stain in his character. And the throne was, was, was flaming fire, his wheels were, were blazing fire, and a river of fire was flowing coming out of his presence. And that's such an evocative image. It's fire in the Bible is always a picture of, of God's powerful presence. Remember, fire at the burning bush and fire at Sinai. God is present 
continually, constantly in history. Please hear this. There's not one page of history where God was not on his throne. God is always in control. I'll put that the negative way around. God is never not in control. Do you believe that? God is never not in control. Verse 10, thousands upon thousands served him. The multitudes gathered to worship this majestic judge. That is our God, majestic, pure, dignified, just, righteous. And he opens his book to give his verdict on this world. And you've got this, almost this contest. The arrogant, evil, human kingdom versus the powerful, just, righteous God. And you've got to believe that with just a click of his fingers, with just a word, God could wipe out all those nations and he could change all those leaders. We don't know why he doesn't, but he has the power to do that. He tells us in verse 11 that I watched and this little horn, the arrogant words, and I watched and the beast was killed just with the word, body destroyed and chucked into the fire. And for some bizarre reason, the rest of the beasts, the other nations were allowed to keep on their beastly rule for a fixed period of time. That is the picture of God on his throne who topples one kingdom after another and brings down one ruler after another. One of the most vivid images for me was few years ago, I think, it was, I think it was 2003, remember that picture of this Saddam Hussein statue that just came toppling down? I, I thought that was such a vivid image, that this man who had reigned in terror for so long, just pushed over and smashed to pieces. Now I find that a comfort, you, you might find that horrific, I find that a comfort to know that there's going to be justice. You know, this, this man who has caused pain and misery to millions will be held accountable. I find that a great comfort that, 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 that no ruler will get away scot-free. Ever had people say to you, oh, the thought of judgment is so horrific. What's the alternative? There is no judgment? And all these people who have done horrific things just get away with it and never held account? I think that's far, 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 far worse than the concept of Judgment Day. We're supposed to be comforted that, that God is on his throne, that whatever any government does or makes us do, God could stop that. We're supposed to be comforted that now as we face this threat of, of North Korea or the US or our own government, God's in control. And yes, I know it's confusing. Why doesn't God stop it now? Why does God allow all these horrific things to happen? I don't know. But I do believe that God's on his throne. But actually, the vision is more personal than the distant God on his throne, isn't it? That is of some comfort. But much more comforting is verse 13 and 14. This other figure who appears, one like a son of man. Not like a leopard, not like a bear, not like a lion, like a son of man. 
coming with the clouds of heaven. And again, if you know your Bibles, clouds in the Bibles are always a picture of the glory of God. The clouds at Sinai, clouds over the Holy of Holy. Psalm 68, sing to God who rise on the clouds. His name is the Lord. So you've got this picture of this, this human-like figure coming with the glory of God. This, this man who's divine. And he's coming and he approaches the ancient of days. He approaches God. He has the, the power and the authority to do that. He can stand face to face with God. And look at verse 14. He was given, this son of man was given authority to rule over this earth from heaven and to judge this earth from heaven. That is the vision. The perfect God-man who reigns and rules even now. Now, who is this man? Let me read a few verses from the New Testament. Mark chapter 2. Jesus said, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. But you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says, get up, take your mat and go home. Mark 8, 31, he began to teach them the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected and be killed. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Mark chapter 13, verse 26, at that time men will see the Son of Man coming with the clouds. As he faced his death, Mark chapter 14, verse 62, Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and come with the clouds of heaven. You see, Jesus deliberately called himself the Son of Man. And it sounds simple, it sounds cliched, it sounds trite. But as you live in this increasingly violent, evil, hostile, anti-God world, your trust and your comfort and your assurance can only come from the Son of Man, from the Lord Jesus Christ, who is reigning now. Let me ask you a theological question. Where do you think Jesus is now? In your view of Jesus, where is he now? He's not on the cross, is he? The cross is empty. Is he in the tomb? No, the tomb was empty. Is he wandering earth? No, he's ascended to heaven. So where is he now? He's ascended, hasn't he? So this vision in, in verse 13 is not a vision of Jesus descending to earth at his incarnation. It's a vision of Jesus ascending back to heaven to sit at the right hand of his Father to rule and to reign in the world today. The one who died for you, the one who loved you, the one who rose for you, the one who defeated death for you is on his throne right now. He is ruling, he is reigning, and he's waiting. He's waiting and waiting and waiting for that great glorious day when he'll come again Leave that throne room of heaven to bring the end to all the violence and all the dictators and all the injustice. And waiting for the day when verse 18 will happen. That the holy ones, that's you and I, the people who believe in Jesus, will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever and ever. See, that's my hope. 
that my Saviour is my King and my Saviour is my Judge and my Saviour is ruling right now. Do you ever think of Jesus like that? When was the last time you thought of Jesus as actually reigning on his throne today over your life? He knows all your trials. He knows all your hardships. He knows all your pains. He sees. He cares. He, he knows what you're going through. That's a comfort, isn't it? And if you don't know this, God always wins. God always wins. He's already won. There is no battle. It's not like evil against God and sometimes evil wins and sometimes God wins. God always wins. Just sometimes in an inexplicable way he allows awful things to happen. I reckon Daniel chapter 7 is a fantastic chapter for any persecuted Christian. There's men in jail for their faith in Vietnam. To know the comfort that God's on his throne. But I reckon that we actually need to hear it today. We're about to face more and more injustice in this world and more and more hatred. And we need to know that God sees and God knows and God's in control. And I love how the chapter ends. Verse 28. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts terrified me greatly. and My face turned pale. I think that's reality for us. We live in a world where we are terrified and we are scared. But we're not overwhelmed. We never shrink away from saying, well, my God's in control and my God's on his throne. I don't know what pressures you're under right now. I don't know what impression you might face today or in the future, but I do know this. Human evil will just escalate. Christians will be more and more persecuted. But God's on his throne. The Son of Man is reigning. And one day he will return. And we too will enjoy an eternal kingdom with him. So a simple question, do you believe this? In spite of what it looks or feels like, God is always in control. Do you believe that statement? Will you live by that statement? God is always in control. To help us to meditate on that truth, I'm going to invite the musos forward. We're going to share some bread and some juice as a reminder that the Son of Man has come. He did die. He did rise again. He is reigning. If you're here today, you're a Christian, you believe that, take the bread, take the juice, we're going to hold on to it. But as it comes to you, we're going to sit and listen to a, a song called In Control. Let's read, read a verse for you. I lift my hands to heaven. Hear my heart surrendered. I tell my soul again, you are Lord of all. And though the seas are raging, you will speak and tame them. In you I find my rest because you are in control.